We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It's 2-0 Arsenal at the Emirates as Jose Mourinho goes down for the first time to Arsene Wenger in the Premier League. Let's check in with Duncan Castles for an immediate response. Leave Jose. me alone! Please! Anyone who has a problem with him, you deal with me. Because he's, he's not well right now. Thanks, Duncan. Appreciate that. We'll try to check in with Duncan Castles again later, uh, possibly after the next time that Jose Mourinho gets tonked by one of the top six. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am thrilled to be joined today by Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Paul, pausing in my pants, he's here. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Uh, I've just been to the dentist, so half my mouth is numb. So, uh, literally, there you go, literally and figuratively. So, I'll do my best. You're going to be uh, ever the wordsmith, uh, as usual. And uh, Clive uh, wanted me to let you know that he was too hurt by nasty things said about him in the comments section of our reviews. He has abandoned the podcast. So, we've got a lot to get to. Uh, It was a 2-0 win over... Jose Mourinho's United, they came to park the bus. The bus became dislodged when Granite Xhaka hysterically pinged one off the ass of Ender Herrera. Danny Welbeck made the point safe. Always loved Danny Welbeck scoring against United and celebrating scoring against United. All in all, great day and quite the season for Arsene Wenger to notch his first victory ever against Jose Mourinho in the Premier League. Um, Tim, let's start with you. And I think... This has kind of settled into being the lineup that most of us probably think is the best one. Would you say in the the back three setup, uh, I guess 
absent possibly uh, Nacho being left wing back, but it didn't appear we had any mm. alternatives. Would you say, given the options, this would have been the way you wanted him to put the team out? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I I still have um, hold a little candle for the idea of uh, pushing Ramsey up a little bit next to Ozil behind Alexis. But that said, um, I'm perfectly comfortable with Danny Welbeck there, and obviously he uh, warranted his inclusion with a goal, which is which is always fun, um, especially against Man United. So yeah, yeah, th- this was this was pretty much. Um, I wouldn't say what I expected because somebody asked me what I thought the lineup would be the day before the game, and I said, "Do you know what? I've, I've given up trying to figure it out. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure anything would surprise me at this point." Um, you know, when you play Giroud away at Tottenham, um, yeah, it, it, it seems like you can do anything really. <laughs> so I, you know, I, but yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty much what I wanted to see. I, you know, I didn't think he'd throw that kind of. You know, let's put Alexis back up front and perhaps push Ramsey into a position he's not played for a little while. I didn't think he'd throw that particular curve ball in this game, and he's he's not going to do it this season now, I'm sure. And actually, as it turned out, you know, Ramsey was certainly in the first half our most threatening attacking presence anyway. Um, and actually, that link up between Alexis and Ramsey worked pretty well. Um, I thought, which is which is why I'm even more enthused to see how it works at even closer quarters. But yeah, I think really we were looking at United. We're going to play pretty much six at the back. Um, you probably need someone like Welbeck in that scenario. Who, even though we know what Danny Welbeck's like now, really, like even when he's not on the ball very much, which he wasn't in this game. You still feel like his presence does something to help the other players. It stretches the game a little bit. So even if he's not seeing a lot of the ball, you feel like he's still effective um, somehow, uh, which I think he was just about in this game. Again, not absolutely amazing, but probably did enough. And that, you know, Alexis really coming in off of that flank and Gibbs kind of overlapping him uh, was another combination we saw an awful lot and was obviously something we worked on trying to get the wing backs in behind uh, Man United's wing backs who are Mkhitaryan and Mata, which was interesting. Um, so yeah, all, all in all, it, it is probably what I'd have chosen from the options available. I think, you know, in the coming weeks, I'd perhaps put Mustafi in there, um, put Monreal back at left wing back. That said, I did think that this was the first time that Rob Holding looked a little bit raw. There were there were some er- there was there was some really good stuff, but there were some errors in there which I don't think we've really seen from him before. And maybe Arsene would point to that and say, "Well, look, that that's why I'm not playing him all the time because yeah. I just want to ease him in." But um, I'm, I'm not. Like I said, it wasn't the lineup I expected because I didn't really expect one at all. I've just, I've stopped thinking about it really, but. It's from the available options. It's on balance, more or less, what I would have done as well. So, um, all congratulations to me. I think. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations to you. That'll wrap it up, guys. Uh, we'll come back after. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, my one defense for holding, especially with the error that that ended in the Rooney chance. Uh, you know, if you look at the help, the Twanzebe is that who it was Twan Twanzebe mm. Twanzelbub Twanzebe, yeah. Tw- Tweezelbub, whatever, uh, for Man United got. Um, Racist. What? 
We what? because I don't know the guy's name. Who did know the guy's name going in? The, you know what? Juan Zavi. It's you know a very I'm not common dignifying name in that part with a of the world. Yes. To, well, it, it may well be, but you have to have heard it once to know it. Um, it's like Murphy. Murphy. Is it Smith. just? It's just like Murphy. Yes. Uh, now who's racist? Now who's racist? Like um, oh, I got you. Okay. So moving on from racism for a moment, and only for a moment. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think, you know, if you look at the help he got, I, I want to defend Holding just in, in the error that was attributed to him. I think if you watch Koscielny, he really lets Holding yeah. down. He He's Big not fun. switched on at all. If he makes a run back, he gives Holding another option, or he blocks Rooney's path to get between the ball and check. And really, by Koscielny just sort of standing there, not switched on at all, he he put Holding in a position where that mistake was more available. I'm, you know, I'm not Definitely. saying that he should have done it, but you get my point. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think... Add the, something? Sorry, after no. you, Tim. Uh, after I two. was just going to say the uh, the Marshall chance as well. If you look at the build-up to that, Holding kind of gets sucked out into the fullback position, even though Chamberlain's actually there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that said, you know, I'm not having a go at the guy, I just thought this was the first time he looked um, his age... Yeah, fair enough. Um, Paul, you can have your two minutes of air time now. Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah. Um, those back corner areas, the full back areas, I mean, that's where there, you have an intersection of three players who've never really played here before. And, and Holding played on the left side. Now it's all bit turned around on him. He's linking up with two, three different players, the midfielder, the wing back, uh, the center back, but from the opposite side. It's all a bit different. I mean, if you look at the goals we've conceded or nearly conceded in this game and against Spurs, it generally comes out of that intersection of those players where, you know, they all know they've something to do. They just don't know who's really to press, who's really to push, who's to commit. Look, you know, look, who look goes. at that side, Paul. It's Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. it's Mesut Ozil, and it's, it's uh, Rob Holding. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you'd imagine there's going to be the occasional even vulnerability. Back to, even you know those those uh, automatisms we talk about. He says, um, you, you, even for Koscielny, it's just that bit different to playing with the two at the back and who's responsible for what. And I, those are small differences. Yeah. I mean, Koscielny isn't lazy. He doesn't switch off. And yet, I agree with you. He looked like a guy who wasn't who, who on that particular play wasn't tuned in. Well, why would that be? Because they're all reading the signals a little bit different. But uh, props to our boy Czech. I know everybody wanted to cart him off. On, you know that cart in Monty Python, bring out your dead? He's not <laughs> dead all... yet. He's getting better. He's not dead. No. <laughs> um, well, well, Paul, I, I, got life in him. I, w- I want to ask you about the first half, though. I, and so, I mean, overall, I, I thought it was a fairly disjointed and quiet first half. Um, I mean, if, if you just sort of read through the, the Twitter timeline, it's easy after you win to let the narrative start to shift. But I do want to yeah. just address what I thought was one frustrating element of the first half, which was sort of a static performance in general. And I know Mourinho sets the game up to be killed and not be fluid, but there, there was a period in the first half where Arsenal were kind of content to just swing the ball, you know, from left to right, um, on the edge of the attacking third, and and players weren't showing for each other, and there weren't a lot of runs. And there was one moment in particular where Mesut Ozil got the ball on the right flank, just a little bit outside the area, and, and Welbeck was near him, and there was no other Arsenal player in the camera shot. I, I mean, if there was one barely over the halfway line, I would have been surprised, and no one was busting a gut to make runs or get through. What do you think is the cause of some of the static buildup that we've seen since we switched to the back three, I mean, this has been a feature of it a little bit. Is this this kind of stagnant pr- 
progression of the ball up the pitch. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think there's a few things. First, you know, we got to say a word about the fact that this is Mourinho's United. They've six players. But you can still make the defending. runs, right? I mean, you can still try to get in, get in behind a guy or find pockets of space. I think the thing that frustrated me, and, and we'll get to the players who did that well, because Aaron Ramsey is going to deserve, I think, a big mention on this uh, for, for the running he did. But apart from that, there were a lot of players content to just kind of occupy the same, I would say, vertical area on the pitch, if you know what I mean, like right on the edge of that final third and, and not make the hurtful runs and not go deeper and not try to go past their men. Yeah, I, I, look, you definitely have a point, but it is you, you can't get away from the fact that this guy is on a 25-game unbeaten run. Now, this may not have been their most intense performance, but it was a, it was more united, more Mourinho than probably any of the previous 25 because he'd come here to kind of, with his performance art, to amuse us beforehand and during it, during it about how he wasn't really trying. But the fucker still wanted his 26th non-loss and maybe nick it on the counter and they nearly did two or three times in the first half so we you you just can't put that away and say oh there was a lack of intensity i think we saw that a bit more in the second half in the first half we were really dealing with how do you take apart uh 10 men behind the ball they actually came out and played a little bit at the start of the second half uh, as opposed to purely waiting for the counters now your point your point is fair we we you know, we are not masters of this system. This system, especially against a Mourinho team, is going to push you down the wings. Um, and we have a different center forward every time. At Giroud, it's Alexis, who's a midget for crosses. Uh, and now it's it's Danny. Now, we've seen Danny in the middle before. But, you know, there's no settled team here. Um to be fair, Gibbs's crossing was poor. Ramsey put in a poor cross. I think Ox was generally pretty good with his crosses and his balls in. We we might diverge on that. But I also think the the real difficulty with discussing a match like this is we just see it differently. You know, you and I were talking about it on WhatsApp beforehand. Yeah. I don't think we think the significance of it is that different. I I think I was trying to come up with an analogy on this. It's kind of grading on a <laughs> <Trying>? curve. <laughs> I, I, really, I assume you'll succeed. <laughs> yeah, I've got a really good analogy for something Can't else wait. in a minute. But anyway, right. grading on a curve versus grading absolute but putting an asterisk at the end of it, which is to say, look, th- to me, this was a really good performance overall, but it didn't mean very much. The The performance against Spurs meant a lot more. But how do you talk about this game then? I, I was actually... You know, you can, I can go through a link, list of bloody opportunities we had in the first half. I really like this thing of Alexis. You like Alexis up top. I like Alexis still from the wing, drifting into the middle, stepping on the ball, putting balls over the top. He did it to Welbeck. He did it to Ramsey a few times. Well, well let's we get into that. Yeah. Let's go into that a little more, Paul, and, and I'll just – because that's where my next question was going, so I'll keep it with you. I don't, I don't want to interrupt right, too much. All right, you bastard. Bring it on. <laughs> well, because – I think there are some people that see Alexis as really struggling for form right now, really scuffling, really, well, hang on, really sort of disrupting our buildup with what's perceived to be um, sort of a selfish style of play and a soloist style of play. And yet at the same time, 
what we saw were the best balls played, certainly in the first half and arguably in the whole match, were played by Alexis. He put Ramsey through brilliantly, a, a curving through ball that broke the lines right onto Ramsey's foot, which he, he shot well low across the keeper, and, and it was well saved. I mean, he, he played a chip ball over the top to Welbeck that resulted in him hilariously missing an overhead kick and was ruled offside, but was incorrectly ruled offside. He had a couple balls like that. My question for you, Paul, is, you know, do we want, do we get the most, is, is Alexis's we, ability to do that still outweighed by the fact that from a deeper position, he's not on the end of moves and he's more disruptive overall to our passing game? Well, according to Wenger, he likes this uh, system for a couple of reasons beyond what he said before. The obvious players that really benefits is Ox and Ramsey, but he also talked about Sanchez n- not playing up top in his, uh, I think it was the Henri interview, which is Alexis is his most creative when he's on the ball. And I think we really saw it in this game. The other, I think, uh, uh, misdirection was the idea that the reason Sanchez came inside was because the kid, according to Marina, Mourinho, uh, Tuan Zabi. Uh, he, he had Alexis's uh, number, yeah. Well, uh, that's what they said. And, and it may well have been true, but I think it was irrelevant because well, from the Alexis wide positions, was, he did. He never, he never got any joy yeah. off him down yeah. down the and flank. I, I don't think Alexis really ever contended it, apart from at the set, end of the or started the second half. There was a deliberate em, emphasis from Alexis to hang left, but right from the get go, he swings into the middle to where you might see, you know, the two guys in midfield need a third guy joining them regularly, and that's either Ozil and Alexis, or Alexis. And they did it all the time. They kind of rotated. There were a couple of interesting times when the the two of them dropped in front of the centre-backs, and Chaka and Ramsey pushed upfield and stayed up there, and Chaka was in the centre-forward spot at one stage, while Ramsey thought, well, he better drop back a bit. So you have this, I mean, I, I guess it's good, it's movement, Um and you got the opportunity for Sanchez to stand on the ball and pump it over the top to a Ramsey or a Welbeck. I kind of liked it. A, a lot of our better yeah. play was through the middle in that first half. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Welbeck's good in the air, but he's he's not huge. And there's only him who's going to make it into that center area. So the advantage of playing this formation is you can get up the wings and get balls in, but against Mourinho with 10 players in the middle, there's going to be a challenge. So I think it was always going to be tough, and it was always going to be down to who gets the first goal, and we needed a little luck. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I, I, Tim, I want to stay on Alexis for a minute. I mean, I know you have mm. a lot of time for players who try that something special, who who don't just settle mm. for what's easy, and I think we really need that. That spark of, of genius. But I'll put the same question to you. Do we get more from Alexis, and are we able to play our fluid passing style more when he's the one trying to get on the end of the moves as opposed to coming in deeper and central and carrying the ball a long time and trying to provide? I I think generally, yes, we get more out of him um, when he's slightly more central. Um, I don't think we necessarily did in this game, or sorry, we necessarily would have in this game, Um Adrian Clark did a, a very, very good piece in this on his breakdown, basically saying that Alexis was one of the tactical keys to the game precisely because he followed instruction brilliantly, which are not things he's been accused of very often in recent weeks. But he was highlighting the amount of times Alexis was coming short and coming inside 
um, and actually Ozil was doing that as well because basically they knew that both the fullbacks would stick to them and follow them inside and that enabled us to really really use the wing backs um, and then uh, the point Adrian was making so you know I'm not claiming credit for this it's his point really but he was saying then what that also did was Alexis was had the Man United right back forgive me I can't remember his name dose of racism on this podcast it's just <laughs> unbelievable. Bastards. but but he was basically saying that he knew that um what, what what's his face um but to, to, to be would, fair there was a white guy who came on later and I don't know his name either. <laughs> <laughs> but he knew that, yeah sorry but he knew he knew that Tonzebi would stick to him. So he was coming inside, he was coming short, basically he was pulling him out of the fullback area. And then that left um, either Mkhitaryan on one side or one matter on the other. That basically made them the fullbacks. And we put Chamberlain and Gibbs on uh, Mkhitaryan and matter. And basically Ozil and Alexis just kept coming inside and taking their fullbacks, uh, Damian and um, Tuanzebi. Uh, so, someone should just like record that and dub it over my voice every time. No, this, this can, is going can to do. We're getting it. We're getting the name. And, uh, and, <laughs> but yeah, so he was he was saying it was a very deliberate tactic, and and actually one of the things um, in this particular system, I'm I didn't like the idea of Alexis out on the left um, a couple of months ago before we brought this back three in. But now we've got this back three. He's not really on the left anymore. It's because you've already got the width from the wing back. So actually what he's what he does then is he comes 15 yards in field. Um, and, and, you know, you've, you've only got to look at the way Chelsea play it. Um, Hazard had some defensive issues as a left winger. So Conte just went, well, I won't play him as a left winger anymore. I'll have a wing back to his left. He can go and do the up and down and being a winger thing. And I'll just release Hazard to kind of drift about. And I think we can get something similar from Alexis there. I, I would, like I said, I would still like to see him in the centre because, as you say, Elliot, I think sometimes, you know, he does turn the ball over an awful lot. And sometimes that's disruptive. And those kind of, those through balls and those balls over the top, he was doing those anyway when he was playing centre forward. He was still by far our most creative player in terms of chances created, key passes, assists. He was still doing all of that just by coming out. Um, and then, and that's why I'm attracted to the idea of Ramsey and perhaps Ozil then running past him. Um, and I think he can do that in possibly a much more dangerous area of the pitch and we can keep him between the width of the posts. But that said, I think perhaps this is a happy medium where he's not quite a winger and not quite a striker. Um, and and you know for the for the actual tactic that we used to try and break Man United down down the flanks, um, it worked pretty well. I thought it was probably the the thing about our performance that was most notable and that worked the best. That yeah. kind of Alexis coming inside and either I love, him I love or him flipping coming in from the wing. I just I love it. Absolutely love. Yeah, and 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 here actually he doesn't. He, he, the thing is he doesn't start wide in this system he actually starts in like the half space and then he can come in or go outside yeah. but that kind of occupying that space constantly and then just leaving you know either picking up the ball and 
and playing a through ball or leaving Granite Jacker to clip the ball to the fullbacks all the time. It was it was a very it was such a consistent feature of our play that um, you know it almost looked like it was part of a plan that Arsene Wenger might have had before now, the game. Now, we'll have none of that. I, look, I mean, I, I think there's a couple of points here. First of all, you know, obviously the way we play and the way our fullbacks push up and the way we leave a lot of green grass behind us, Alexis losing the ball 20 yards from goal and Alexis losing the ball 40 yards from goal are two very different propositions. Um, and wherever Alexis is, he's going to lose the ball because he's going to make attempts to do something special. Um, he also isn't going to move the ball quite as quickly usually. And I think if you play him more forward uh, in that in that central striker role, he will drop deep, but he's dropping deep to 18 to 20 yards to 25 yards out um, and looking to exchange passes on the edge of the area. Whereas when he has it 40 yards out and, and he's trying to dribble a few guys, it, it doesn't let us build up that sort of momentum of passing, that, that passing rhythm. The other thing I like if you play him at center forward, and this is, no uh, criticism of Danny Welbeck. I mean, you could always play Welbeck in one of the wider positions, but I think what you can do instead is bring in a guy like an Awobi, another passing player, another player who uses the space without the ball effectively, another player who can move the ball quickly so that we have a little more control and a little a little bit more of that traditional, uh, uh, accurate, metronomic passing buildup that, that has been more typical of Arsene Wenger down the years. Um, as it is right now, you know, you have Welbeck, who's not going to be on the ball a lot. You have Alexis, who likes to carry the ball. You have Oxlade-Chamberlain, who likes to carry the ball. You know, I mean, you don't have that extra passer. I mean, you have you have Ozil, Ramsey, and, and Shaq, and I think it might be helpful to have one more. Ultimately, I think the problem for Arsenal in the first half is the one that is a problem for Arsenal, period, and has been for a while now. We just don't use space off the ball as well as we once did. And the players don't find those pockets of space. They don't occupy the pockets of space as effectively as they once did. Mesut Ozil is brilliant at it. I don't know that we have other players that are that great at it. Ramsey really was excellent with it as the game went on uh, on the day. And before we get to Ramsey, Tim, I'll stay with you just for a second. I want to talk Oxlade-Chamberlain just for a minute because I think there has been this growing momentum of loving him as a, as a wingback. And I get that people want him to be excellent. And it would be great for Arsenal if he's excellent. And people want him to be excellent at wingback. What I saw with my untutored eye was a player who really struggled in the first half, who defensively had a few missed tackling opportunities and offensively was really struggling with his final ball, who came into the game more in the second half and obviously delivered a sensational cross for the Welbeck goal. But I didn't see this spectacular performance that had some people calling him man of the match. So maybe you can explain to me what I missed and what made this a, a, a better Ox performance than I saw. I, I don't think you've called that completely wrong. I would say in the first half, he was probably fairly average, uh, like most of the team. I think probably the only player that performed in an attacking sense that performed all the way through the game was Ramsey, um, you know, Alexis performed his role, uh, which was a slightly more unselfish one. I, I think in the first half, and to be fair, um, you know, I sit on one side of the stadium and Chamberlain was below me in the uh, in the second half when he was clearly uh, much better. So I think probably from my point of view, that always colours my impression slightly. Um, you know, when we're attacking the North Bank goal, I think everyone on the right, I have a much stronger opinion of people on the right in the second half and on the left in the first half because I see them at very close quarters. So I, I thought he was just fairly average um, in the first half. 
and I have to say, I, I referenced that Martial chance where Holding got, got sucked out to the byline a bit. And though I did say that Chamberlain was roughly in position, what he kind of failed to do at that point was once Holding had been kind of attracted out to the touchline, Chamberlain didn't go and backfill for him. He kind of just stayed in the right back position rather than, you know, sensing the danger and thinking, OK, I've got to step into right centre-back for a second here. And that created the gap for Martial. So defensively, there's definitely still something to work on here. And and I think actually his part in the Danny Welbeck goal, if, if you watch, um, you know, the cross is sensational and he's put a few of those in this season. You think Giroud, Old Trafford, yeah. Alexis's header at Sunderland, you know, very, very similar balls from a very similar position he did lose the ball watch... with an easier opportunity to cross it just prior to that <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i was about to say if you watch the 10 seconds before it um he kind of yeah he, he does he it, it's fairly typical chamberlain and i think from memory he beats someone and you think oh that's brilliant and he's driving in the area and then he just slightly overcomplicates it and i think what we've got in chamberlain is he's a doer you know he re- he always always tries to do something with the ball and you know inherently those players can be quite frustrating Aaron Ramsey is very similar I'd say Ramsey's judgment is slightly better um, nevertheless not always perfect but but with Chamberlain he's a guy you know it's not for him the kind of five yards cautious infield pass he always tries to beat someone he always tries to do something um, and that and, and you know and that can colour people's impression of him as well and I think that's why he does divide opinion a lot because some people really like players like that and some some people really don't um and you see a similar argument with alexis you know you see some people probably like me think that the alexis tax is worth paying because he gives you goals and assists and there's no more valuable currency in football but um some people hate him just like some people's twitter timelines they they can't get over that he gives the ball away um so much um, i think there's also a lot of the tantrums he throws on the pitch that that sprinkles yeah, it, sprinkles yeah. into that analysis i think if he was the ultimate team guy in body language terms yeah i think those people might not have the same opinion yeah yeah indeed indeed and yeah yeah and i, and I think there are plenty of players who aren't quite as effective um possibly i'm being really harsh in saying this because i like him a lot but like danny welbeck is like I wonder sometimes if we like the idea of Danny Welbeck more so than we nice. actually like. Yeah, he's got yeah, a great exactly. Smile. He's, <laughs> he's, he, he does seem like a really nice guy, and when he does good things. They're, and he they're celebrates goals but, against United. I mean, indeed, you know. indeed. But, but that too much. Well, hey, no. hey, look, let, let's get to the really good stuff. There's a lot of media stuff, and by the way, I mean, in fairness to Ox, you know. He may not have been flawless, but when you've got Gibbs putting crosses onto the roof of the net every other. Uh, every other cross, like, you know, but you're, you're going to look good by comparison. The, the, the last thing I'd, I'd say for Chamberlain, though, just to finish the point off quickly, yeah. what, one thing he really has developed this season that a lot of players start to get at about the age of 23 is some end product. So even though I'm not convinced he's not as frustrating as he ever was, but at least he's chipping in yep. um, with some really good assists now, and that kind of alleviates things um, a little bit, but I still have my doubts as to whether you can have Alexis and Oxlade-Chamberlain in the same team on a regular basis. Well, we won't have that problem next season because they'll both Probably be. Probably not. No. Um, okay, so, Paul, the, the good stuff, the really good stuff, I think, 
I mean, in Bizarro World, the really good stuff came from central midfield on the day. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Um, I thought Shaka and Ramsey were fantastic. Let's get to Ramsey first. This was, this was quintessential Ramsey. This was classic Ramsey making those runs, going beyond the attackers and being the deepest in the attacking box, getting forward, be, giving a, another option to to play a final ball in behind the back four and still having the engine to get back and cover back and uh did really pretty much everything you could possibly ask of a central midfielder on the day at both ends of the pitch this is the kind of performance that when you watch the tape back you say that all right that's why you call him a box-to-box midfielder um what made the difference what was what was so special about ramsey this day that we haven't seen for so long well, I'm sticking with my theory that Ramsey is a guy who looks bang average and very, very frustrating until he's basically 100% when he comes back from injury. A, a 90% or an 85% Ramsey is a very frustrating, boring, ordinary player who's trying too many flicks and isn't keeping it simple, blah, blah, blah. So he's an and, engine and he's, player. You're saying without the engine, you don't get, you don't get what makes him special. Yeah, he doesn't have uh, great speed. He doesn't have great physicality. He doesn't have great skills. Um, he certainly has skills, but he kind of needs a... would beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't yeah. that where he hit the 45-yard half-volley screamer or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. But, but he was well played in at that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, that, that was near-peak Ramsey. I mean, even in this game, I mean, he had a really good first half, but towards the end... He started playing like, now, okay, it was against a somewhat flagging United who were maybe giving him a, an extra half a yard from time to time. But, man, he was mincing them, going through them. And he just, he, you really saw, uh, he suddenly looked fast, which he hasn't done for quite some time. You know, we've been worried about players running past him in the midfield and stuff. But when he gets up to, to peak Ramsey, Actually, he's pretty good defensively, and he gets around the place, and he makes the tackles, and, you know, he's on it. But he's one of those players, you know, Wilshire is the worst. He needs nine, ten games back where he starts and basically plays the best part of 90 minutes before he reminds you why you once thought he was a top talent. Ramsey needs five, six starts. Um and then you start then he starts making people look stupid again and to me that's obviously this is a setup that suits him and we know why um i had a debate today with somebody saying uh, the usual things about ramsey you know oh but he'll leave us in the lurch defensively in midfield in the against southampton now he probably will after that but why do you place three center backs um if you're not going to get let, Ra- let ramsey get forward uh, if you're not going to let Ox take a few risks and Sanchez take risks. Now, those guys have to be smart enough to work out they can't all three of them take risks at the same time. But, you know, when when Arson says uh, this is a defensive formation, I, I think that's a starting point, but it shouldn't be a defensive formation. It should, It depends on how you play it. I mean... Guardiola played it often enough. He didn't play it defensively. He played it because he wanted to get, a, uh, you know, he didn't want four at the back. He wanted only three. And he used his three three coming into midfield and out of midfield and uh, connecting the play. So 
you know, this is what this is the beauty of this system. And uh, I couldn't work out with a four, two, three, one, how Ramsey was ever going to work for us again based on the other players we had around him. But with this, I think we can all see why it could and should work. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Paul, is that I think we have so many players who need the ball at their feet to excel, and I actually think Ramsey is at his best in some ways when other people can occupy the ball and he can go running. You know, and, and yeah, he he lobs the grenade and then runs in the opposite direction. He he lay off the ball and then piss off up the field and catch it the second or third pass along, and he'll be in the box on the ed- edge of the box getting in behind people. Yeah, and and I think you know ultimately, truthfully, like I think if we did play Alexis at center forward and add in a player like an Awobi or something instead of Welbeck, and again, no disrespect to Welbeck, but just to get that dynamic in there, and then you have Ozil and Shaka and Awobi and Ramsey's making runs, and you have more players that can find those runners. Um, it was really just Alexis finding Ramsey on the day, but you know, I think you have players who, who could start to find those runs, especially if he starts to make them more and more. Um, you know, I'll, I'll stay with you for a minute because uh, Tim just monopolizing airtime today. Fuck. Uh, I know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Just any chance he has to make fun of that that I poor know. kid from United. Um, yeah, but, the uh, kid. The kid. Um, what about Shaka? You know, so for me, when Shaka gets up the pitch, I think we actually see the worst of him. Um, he's not really a guy that from 20 or 25 yards out from goal is is going to put players in, put runners in behind. When he has to defend from that position, he really struggles. He is not a guy who wants to be running back towards his goal. But when he can sit 40 yards from goal, when he's at the halfway line, when he's just he across the halfway, game ahead of him. he yeah. needs it in front of him. Yeah, and... and um, you know, I mean, I thought he was fantastic against United, and admittedly, a United side that didn't have a real buccaneering intent and and wasn't really trying to overrun our midfield. But do you think the secret for him is that he just has to stay a few yards deeper and have the game in front of him where he can see what's going on up the pitch? Yeah, I think that's right. And when we tried him with Cock um, or other combinations, even with El Nenny. Uh, it's kind of it was still trying to work out who's the more defensive play, who's covering who and this kind of thing. Well, well you, you uh, know what, Paul? Just real quick, because the other thing that we noticed, and, and Tim has touched on this a lot in podcast, is that Ramsey used to alternate making runs. So Ramsey would take a yeah. turn making runs, and then Shaq would be the one getting up front. What seemed clearer in this game is they said, "All right, you know what? Screw it, Shaq, don't make any runs. You don't have to go forward. Ramsey's the better one at that." And they stuck with that, and that seemed to work. Yeah, yeah. The division to Laver was very clear, uh, and they found a balance. And, you know, Ozil dropping back and Sanchez dropping back, they're clever players, and they've worked out who's going to do what, who's going to make which pass. You can't just have Chaka uh, making making those balls, uh, those passes from deep. Uh, you need some other variety, and you're not going to get it from Ramsey. We, we, well, occasionally you you will, but we saw him try a couple of balls from deep that, you know, are hit or miss. So, so don't bother. Uh, but but Sanchez coming back, and if you like being playing that other passer from a little deeper, like Santi did for us, or Ozil dropping back, and you can do it with this formation. You can cover it, and you know we've only got the two in midfield. So if Ramsey's pushing forward. You need those other guys circulating back in, but that's fine because we've got the width from Gibbs and Ox. Um, I like uh, quick point on the Ox thing. I won't really come back to it, but he um, 
I think part of the reason you've, you face people who are excited about him is because he's genuinely thrilling. Now, he has the flaws you talk about, but I do think that's a significant factor. He can get you uh, off your seat. Yeah, he, he has excitement he to him, it whereas goes, we have a lot of players that, you know, there's just nothing. Like Coughlin, you may admire things he does, but you can't be like, I can't wait to watch Francis Coughlin play football. <laughs> Keep going. Um, Elliot. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on right, Cock. All right, all right. Um, well, hey, but, you, you but can try to explain really... that shot, that block he tried to make late in the game. It was great. Where, I love where this. He had a bottle rocket up his ass or something. It might genuinely have put put Wayne Rooney off. That's what it nobody It put me seen. off from 3,000 yeah. miles away. <laughs> it put off about a million Arsenal Twitters on or fo- followers on Twitter, and that was for like f- fucking an hour. So no wonder... Rooney skied the bloody shot. So anyway, I think Ox going forward and back, he says, saying he wasn't going to talk about it, is genuinely thrilling, but mistake-ridden. But hey, that's why you have three at the back. And if if we were better at three at the back, it would be less of an exposure. And it's why I like Gibbs, even though he didn't particularly have the world's most wonderful game in terms of end product. Uh, I think it works with with what we've then got in the midfield. It just kind of works. We just... For a team that's only discovered this system, we ought not to be too harsh on ourselves. But on the other hand, we don't really know what we've got because it was a really... To me, I like this performance maybe better than both of you. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought we were pretty damn good. I just don't know if it really means that much. Really enjoyed the second half. Look, look, I I think there's a danger of grading on a curve too much. (laughs) Yeah, but... But here's why I think grading on a curve is all right. We might actually have three more games just like this one. They're not necessarily easy to win because you're against teams that aren't necessarily going to come at you. As Tim said earlier today, you know, they're kind of on the beach, but they still don't want to be embarrassed or lose. So actually, the United game might be a better measure of what we'll be facing than the uh, the Spurs game where they splooged their load all over us and then had nothing left for West Ham in the oh, next game. God, so. Can we move on, please? Oh, oh sorry. So sorry. unpleasant. Um, but the point being, United, maybe we shouldn't dismiss this as a performance. We might be seeing a bit more of teams not as intense and more content with a draw. Yeah, no, that that's fair. And I, I think, yes, we're going to face more teams that play in the manner that United did than play in the manner Spurs did, that's for sure. Very few teams can play like Spurs do. Um, Maybe it was meaningful. Yeah, and Maybe. the only thing we're grading on a curve, like, for example, like Kieran Gibbs. Kieran Gibbs got into a lot of good positions, and his end product was horrific, like really, really, really bad. And Even he like, thought so. Well, yeah, I mean, look, you can be like, oh, but he's getting into those positions. That's good. That's encouraging. But, like, at some point you say, well, these are professional footballers playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world, and either you can play a good final ball from those positions or you can't, but we can't keep playing someone who squanders those positions. So I think that's what I mean by grading I on a curve. I think you and I both wanted Monreal to start. Yes, yeah, yeah, look, I get that you have more back. time for Gibbs than I do, but we both think that Monreal is the better option there. Um, Monreal, Tim, Sanchez, I mean, wh- what a great triangle you started to make with those allowed on that wing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, I don't want to shortchange you on the midfield conversation. So you want to get into the the Shaka-Ramsey partnership really sort of being the story of the game? Yeah, yeah. And and I think really this was just, it was a game that really suited both of them because Man United were really sitting off and neither of them are, are, you know, particularly at their best under lots and lots of pressure on the ball, but especially not Xhaka. 
Um, and so this kind of, you know, United sitting off and being happy to give him time on the ball. We saw in the West Ham home game a few weeks ago, you know, how much he enjoys that. Um, and particularly with this kind of plan we had um, to really kind of load our, our wing backs up quite high. Um, and I think Jack is really enjoying the fact that we're playing with wing backs as well, because it means we have dedicated wide players who are at all times on the touchline which is kind of what having a four in midfield gives you. Whereas if you've got, you know, Theo, maybe wide right and Alexis wide left, you know, maybe they're looking to come inside. It gives them less to aim at. I just think this system makes the pitch a little bit bigger for Granite Jacker. And one of, one of the things that once this team perhaps settles down a bit, once Jacker set, settles down a bit, um, oppositions are going to have a decision to make because they're going to have to say, well, maybe we can't just keep giving Granite Jacker all this time on the ball, so we're going to have to press him. But if you have to press him, that means you have to get your team fairly high up the pitch, um, which is, you know, in itself inherently dangerous dangerous when playing a team like Arsenal. So, you know, once, once he settles down a bit, I think that's going to give, um, that's going to give some teams something to think about. Um, particularly if, as you said earlier, you know, we can add a couple of players who perhaps move the ball a bit more quickly. Players like that we've really missed, like Kazola, like Wilshere, like Thomas Rosicki, um, who I think we we really, really miss, actually. I think Thomas Rosicki um, in this team at the moment would, you know, would go some way to rescuing it, to be honest, because he's just exactly the sort of player that, that knits things together. Um and, and, you know, for Ramsey as well, it, it kind of meant because United weren't very ambitious, it meant he could get forward um, because Alexis was playing in a kind of inside left role and Ozil was playing like in an inside right role. He's got two guys there who are more than happy to give him the ball. There's a centre forward in Welbeck who's looking to make runs and occupy centre halves and stretch them. Also, you know, both of United's centre halves have just come back from long injuries and were both kind of thrown in. And I I think that showed, even though I don't think either of them are marvellous. So I thought, yeah, Xhaka and Ramsey were very much the story of this game. It was the only midfield performance I can remember in the last kind of six months that matches up to this one was actually away at Southampton with the um, Maitland-Niles, Rene Adelaide and Chamberlain, which for my money was the best midfield performance by Arsenal this season. And Paul's um, been begging for Maitland-Niles to start ever since. <laughs> which is, it's, it's absolutely remarkable, really. That, that trio, for my money, produced the best midfield performance we've seen from Arsenal this season, which probably tells you a story. But um, that's, you know, to take Yeah, it tells you that from, Southampton's second 11 isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, also because those are players that move themselves and the ball quite quickly, which is just really what we've been missing. But... You know, what we had, I think, on Sunday against Man United was we didn't have, you know, Xhaka and Ramsey don't do both of those things, i.e. move the ball quickly and move themselves quickly. But Xhaka can move the ball quickly and Ramsey can move himself quickly. Um, so it's not perfectly symbiotic, but it's an improvement, um, albeit from a very low bar from Arsenal's midfield this season. But basically, I, I think there is a bit of promise in that midfield duo um, for certain games, and this was one of those games. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I want to clarify, look, I, I know I said overall that I think 
Shaka played a little deeper and is better a little deeper, I realize he scored the goal from stepping up and having a pop. But I mean, in general, I I think he was just that step further back where he's a little more comfortable. And to be fair, United didn't really contest the midfield the way some teams have, where I think, you know, especially without a partner that he can exchange passes with, it becomes really problematic. Tim, stay with you for a second. You want to have a quick word on the the difference in having Danny Welbeck up front instead of Olivier Giroud? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious, really. Is you know just causing a little bit of a frisson um, in the defence. I really don't think that Chris Smalling and Phil Jones would have been particularly Look, I'm worried. I'm going to stop you for a second Giroud. for the final time. It's not frisson; it's Twanzebi. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sakes, Tim. One time. All right, keep going. Sorry. Jesus. Fun I'm baby. stuck on this uh, endless podcast <laughs> with the two most racist bastards on the planet. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Um, so, yeah, as, as I said earlier, really, even when Welbeck's not really involved, he is kind of involved. And I really don't think that Ramsey would have found any of those pockets of space that he found, particularly in the first half with Giroud up front. Um, albeit, I, you know, Giroud and Ramsey do link up well sometimes, but I really think that, you know, had he been running into those spaces, he probably would have been bumping into Giroud comedy sound effects, sound effects and all. So, I mean, and, and you know, Welbeck is, you know, for my money, a good 8 out of 10 striker. He's not world class, he's not top class, but he's a good, he's a good striker, he's a good player to have. And it just it does make you wonder what we could do with a really really top class striker. I was about to say um, that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what Welbeck shows is with the havoc he can create as an eight out of ten, what it would mean to this club to have someone who was just that notch above. Can Indeed. I say quickly on Welbeck? Uh, um, we say this about. 97% of our players, but he's never really had a consistent run, not particularly at United, in the, certainly not in the centre-forward spot, and not at Arsenal, because as soon as he got going, he had injuries, then he came, blah, blah, blah. Um, he has almost scored a number of, like, just world-class goals, and I think if we dig into our memories, you can remember them, chips that just went past, you know, uh, blasters that went off the bar, etc., um, he's and he's actually scored some really cool goals for us, but he's got a whole bunch that are near misses. But that's and kind just, of what's what, keeping him from being world class, right? He doesn't finish enough of his chances. Sure, sure, but he's never had the consistent run. So I, I don't get me wrong; I don't think he's going to end up being Sergio Aguero, but he could end up being a lot better than he is. Over to you, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I think that's fair um but yeah it i i, st- I still wonder what a really t- and, and i think arson Wenger does as well sure um you know he he went for vardy he went for lacazette he's still looking and you know ended up settling on lucas perez really he's he's still looking for for that guy um yeah. i think and I, I think possibly more than any anyone else I, I happen to think another wide playmaker is probably the most urgent gap in our squad and has been for a few years i don't think arson thinks that i think arson is after that nine out of ten striker Alvaro Morata, maybe I, I i could see him going for that but that that's why you know I, listen i'm as dubious as anyone else about the war chest stories that have been coming out for the last few weeks 
but I kind of believe the one um, that says that Arsene Wenger would throw everything at Mbappe and promise him the world and make him his wife and build him a house and and whatnot. I you know I I tend to believe that. I, I do think he would be willing to do that if he had a cat in hell's chance of getting him. Um, I I think he his eyes probably. I think he probably goes to bed at night dreaming um, about that, um, and for very good reason. But it's probably pie in the sky anyway. But I, I think he is really, really. I think he'd love to have Welbeck as you know, um, a good option, someone who can play in both the wide positions, um, can do a good job against anyone that you wouldn't worry about putting in. But I, I still think he wants that. That you know that. 21 carat mobile striker the the problem is i think we may be in a world now financially where the only way we're going to have a striker of absolute top pedigree and quality is the way liverpool wound up with suarez getting him the move before the big move if you follow me yeah um and i think a big part of the issue is not just the money and the game and the players it's the agents somebody like mbappe will end up with a super agent that's who the fuck you're negotiating with so you know 15 20 years ago uh arson might have been able to go all french all over his ass <laughs> that one's for you elliot but but now it's it's arsenal you know we already hierarchy. had a salad tossing thing on the last podcast like do we really need a french kissing asses again two consecutive podcasts no no, no we don't but now you're dealing with some Mbappe kid who Arson could have persuaded a long time ago, but you're dealing with some fucking super agent who's all about the move, the big move, the power move, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And it's just become so hard to get, the, harder than it ever was for Arson to get a player like that. Let's get off of transfers because nobody likes yeah. to hear about that and that'll prevent us from getting any downloads because transfers are like the least interesting yeah. part of football and nobody cares about it. Um uh, let's talk the result itself for a minute. So it, it is Arsene Wenger's first win over Jose Mourinho in the Premier League, um, and and that is monumental. And yet, I wasn't punching the air with joy when it ended. I didn't have that euphoric feeling that I do when we win a big game, as rare as that that is. Um, there was something missing, and I think for me, it was the sense that this is all a bit meaningless, that United are not contending for anything that we are not contending for anything and that we are indeed not contending for top four. And so the result becomes a footnote uh, aside from just Arson getting one over on Jose. Paul, did you, did you have the same sort of flat reaction to it or did you find significance in it? Um, I thought it had its own quality about it. I know it would have been wonderful if this had been a, a crunch game and we'd seen Jose spit and blood crying in his beer. Uh, but we knew that was not to be. I mean, I enjoyed the fuck out of it because it starts off with, with Jose's performance art standing in the fucking tunnel, leaning against a wall, uh, sitting on the bench beforehand, uh, making... Uh, uh, that man can communicate so much emotion, so many different shades of emotion with his looks. I mean, you could read what he meant, which is, I kind of want to win this, but it doesn't really mean anything. But I want you to understand that I know that you know. And it's like, fuck me. And then the, the shit afterwards, 
where just one question in a presser sets them off with like six or seven zingers. I, I got, I still got a tremendous amount of pleasure from it. Um, and, you know, you can't take away the fact that we did end his meaningless unbeaten run. Uh, I got to tell you, Elliot, you know, n- not since uh, Anna Ivanovich uh, managed to get out of her relationship with Igor Goretsky, the 79-year-old fishmonger from Minsk who had married her in arranged marriage and had been making love to her every night for 25 nights was somebody so thrilled to get a passionless, meaningless probing over and done with. What, so, what, what is it? Chekhov? Is that, is that Dostoevsky? What, who, is it Lolita? I don't know. What, that what is was... actually Woody Allen, Love and Death. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny, because the first half I mentioned that I thought it was flat, and it reminded me of another Manchester United game. Do you guys remember after we had taken those drubbings, the the five, whatever it was, at Liverpool and the 6-0 to Chelsea, and then we played United, and it was a really joyless affair that ended in a dull draw, and I think Arsenal had just been yeah. shell-shocked. I thought there was some of that to start this game following the way we had been battered by Spurs. And maybe for me the emotion was similar just in that what had happened at White Hart Lane had, had been so soul-destroying that it was difficult to get back up off the mat after that. But, Tim, I know you feel a little bit differently, and you think that there is – still a pulse in the patient of top four. Um, I mean, look, we're not going to get past City. We can get past United by winning our games. It's Liverpool, really, and they have West Ham away and Borough at home. Did you Mm. feel more exhilaration at full time? Um, I wouldn't say exhilaration. I I think, you know, your comments are well observed. Even in the stadium, it was all a bit, you know, the the kind of even the fuck off Mourinho chant that went up on 89 minutes when people were pretty comfortable, didn't have the same vigour as usual and still lots of people left early. So, uh, you know, for me, it was good to get the monkey off the back, but I'm thinking more, well, perhaps when we play them next season and it's a bit more meaningful, um, assuming Arsene Wenger's still here, of course, which I am. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking more, a bit like when we beat Chelsea in the Community Shield, you know, and thinking, well, yeah, th- this is good, this is good, and I enjoyed it, and I think we deserve to win and and whatnot. And I think it obviously really hurts Mourinho, you can see, because of his, in, you know, entirely predictable, childish press conference afterwards. But for me, I'm thinking... Well, you know, maybe when we come to play the next season and it is a bit more meaningful than maybe, you know, any psychological block we had has gone. With regards to the top four, um, yeah, I I do. I still think it's on. I'm not saying I think we'll do it, but um, I, you know, I've watched the last couple of Liverpool games and I think they've looked really, really nervous. And, you know, they they got their goal against West Brom away and they sharp shop and took the 1-0 they really didn't do much at Watford, but they got that wonder goal. And again, they shut up shop and took 1-0. And they've been trying to do that. And that tells me that that's a team that's a little bit tired, yeah. um, especially given the style that Klopp demands. They've lost Mane, who, who I think is their most important player. Mm. And I think they know it. And they know that without Mane, they can't play this really swashbuckling stuff. And they're a little bit stuck for ideas and I think they're a bit nervous because they've been out of the cups for a long time and so you know top four has been their everything since about February 
Um, whereas for us, we've had, you know, we've had the FA Cup, we've had some pretty demoralising Champions League games, we've had all this noise about the manager and stuff like that. It, it almost feels like um, top four just hasn't even been on our radar, either because it's looked so unlikely or because there's just so much else to talk about that it doesn't feel like people are massively invested in it. But um, I put it this way, I think if we win all of our games, we'll do it because I do think that Liverpool will drop points against West Ham and we, you know, we could really put the pressure on um, because we play Southampton on Wednesday and if we do that then you know I, I think Liverpool could really really start to look over their shoulder um, I think we've seen too many false dawns of late for me to say that that's definitely what we're going to do um, but you know South, Southampton and Stoke away are two really tough fixtures and I'm still expecting them to be tough but I think this is if you're going to play them at any time now's as good a time as any because they're both mid-table kind of on the beach um, I'm not expect. I'm, I'm expecting. You know, I think Paul's comments were very well observed about they won't maybe not be as intense as usual, but they'll they'll be stubborn um, and they'll be defensive. Yeah. And for those reasons, I think they'll be tough. And you know, particularly at Stoke, maybe there's a psychological barrier to hurdle there as well. But like I say, if we're going to play those games, now is the time to play them. And then you're looking at Sunderland at home and, you know, we, we might have Everton on the last day and, um, you know, Ever Everton might take the view that they'd rather Liverpool weren't in the Champions League. And I've seen the last couple of Everton games and they already look like they're on the beach, quite frankly. So you, you never know. I, I still don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's I think it's on. And I, at this stage, I wouldn't be massively shocked. I would have been a week ago after the Spurs game, but at this point, seeing Liverpool drop those points and us having this victory, um, I wouldn't be as surprised, no. Yeah. What's going to be hilarious is that we are going to lose every single one of our remaining games, rendering <laughs> that analysis totally moot. Um, no, I mean, look, I we have ridden our luck quite a bit over this run of staying in the Champions League, run of top four finishes, and eventually your luck runs out. Um I think the combination of needing to win out and having Liverpool drop points is the problem because I haven't seen anything from this team that tells me we're going to take maximum points from every game because every game we have a goal to concede in us or a game where we're just looking impotent in front of goal. And I, you know, I ultimately wouldn't surprise me if you're right that Liverpool drop points, but I, I have yet to be convinced that we can run the table. Um, let's leave yeah. it there. Uh, I think that's, that's good enough. It is great to see Arsene Wenger get one over on Jose Mourinho, and I know uh, it wasn't a great moment for him, so I do want to give special thanks to Duncan Castles for joining us at the beginning of the show. Thanks, Duncan. Um, okay. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Uh, Tim is on Twitter. at Stoberto. Tim, always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure is mine. My name's Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty stuff about Clive in the comments section, and I promise he'll still come back. Anyway, we've got Southampton midweek. It's uh, our chance to keep the top four dream alive so it can somehow get crushed in epic fashion. Uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you in a bit.